Luke 3, 15 through 17, and 21 through 22. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in the hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into, the granary, into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And, and uh, so our calendar year is set up in a very fascinating way. Uh, so we have a liturgical calendar that uh, walks us through different phases for Christian growth, uh, for wisdom and understanding and learning and experiences. And, uh, and believe it or not, the entire calendar year isn't about the life of Jesus. The, the life of Jesus we cover uh, starting in Advent, so the uh, four, four, four Sundays before uh, Christmas Day. We start there, and then we go all the way until, uh, uh, until Easter Sunday, Resurrection of the Lord Day. And within those uh, couple of weeks slash months, we get the life of Christ. Okay, And uh, so it starts with the foretelling of Jesus' birth, the anticipation. Then we get the birth, and then we have uh, Epiphany Sunday, which is, falls on a weird time this year. You, we could have either celebrated it last week or this week, but January 6th is always Epiphany Sunday. And, and then immediately after that comes the Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Uh, a part of Jesus' life, which ended up being a, a, I mean, a pretty significant step, and we'll unpack that a little bit more. But before we start unpacking that, and why we even have Baptism of the Lord Sunday to begin with, we need to understand baptism. Where did it come from? Why do we do it? Uh, we kind of adopted this practice uh, from, well, I say we, John, the baptizer, John the Baptist, cousin extension of Jesus, uh, adopted this practice from what's called mikvah in the Jewish tradition, which is a practice of ritual cleansing in which uh, you would step into this uh, weird bathtub looking thing to cleanse yourself before doing some, some holy practice. Um, and, and so this was a, a similar concept that John took as a symbolic action Okay, and that's the important part of this, a, a, a symbolic action. And, and he took this and started coming to the people with this message of repentance. And as he's preaching to the people and baptizing them, people start to question in their hearts, could this be the Messiah? Is this the one we've heard about? Who is he? And John stops them all by saying, no, 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 no you don't get it. There's one coming after me uh, who, who I, I'm not even worthy to even like touch his sandals. 
That would be an honor, but I'm not worthy to do that. And this person who's coming after me will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. I baptize you only with water. Uh, and so from this, we get this practice of baptism. Uh, now, in the uh, United Methodist Church, we have what are, uh, what are called sacraments, two of them to be precise, two sacraments. Can anybody guess what those two sacraments are or know what those two sacraments are? Baptism and communion. Yeah. Baptism and communion. I heard that in the mumbling. People are like, I don't want my voice to be heard that loud. <laughs> but yes, baptism and communion. Two, we'll be partaking, uh, well, we won't be doing baptism today. We will be remembering our baptism, but two uh, points in this. Now, do you know why we have these two sacraments? These are the only two ritualistic things that Jesus instructed his disciples to do. At the Last Supper, uh, whenever Jesus has his uh, disciples with him and they partake in the Passover feast, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Right? That's what's inscribed right there on the front of the altar. I think this one says, this do in remembrance of me. And then baptism comes a little bit later after Jesus' resurrection in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? So there are two ritualistic instructions that Jesus offers. And because of this, we adopt them as sacraments. Now, sacraments are outward signs, or excuse me, outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. Okay? So, so in other words, baptism, the action of like receiving water on your person, isn't what baptism is all about. This is a representation of what God is doing within us and, and, uh, and around us. Now, we wholeheartedly believe that the real presence of God is in this action, but you are not saved by water. You are saved by grace, the grace of God. Uh, in communion, we believe that the real presence of God is in the, uh, in the elements, the uh, bread and uh, juice, right? So we, we, we don't believe in what's called transubstantiation, which is a fancy word to say that, uh, that the elements transform into the body and blood of Christ whenever we take them. We believe they are a representation of the body and blood of Christ that sustain us. And so these are sacraments. Wesley had, uh, John Wesley, the founder of modern day United Methodism, had a different word for him. While also using sacraments, he also called them means of grace or channels of grace. Uh, uh, things by which we would, we would be able to receive the grace of God. Now the difference between means of grace and sacraments are that there are a lot of means of grace. There are a lot of ways that we receive the grace of God. Fellowship, worship, these are just some of them. Study, things like that. We can receive the grace of God in the more commonplace things, whereas sacraments, we believe in only two, baptism and the Eucharist, Holy Communion. Uh, but he believed that, uh, he said, he called uh, both of these as means of grace, activities by which we receive the grace of God, and recognize what God is doing in our lives. And 
I mean, we could just like unpack all of these things for days and days and days, but I want to save you the trouble and give you homework. There are two documents out there uh, that you can look up online for free, instant access, just go to Google, and there, you may want to write this down because it's, it's, it's a heavy read, but it's worthwhile understanding and it would save us about seven hours of me just standing here talking about it. <laughs> uh, the first one is called By Water and the Spirit. This is a United Methodist document that unpacks our theology of baptism. By Water and the Spirit. Okay, that's the first document. The second one is called This Holy Mystery. And that's our United Methodist theology on Holy Communion, the Eucharist, things like that. So, By Water and the Spirit, and this holy mystery. Those two are great. We're going to be focusing on baptism today, though, primarily because it's baptism of the Lord's Sunday. And, and if you were to look into the document titled, By Water and the Spirit, Unpacking the United Methodist Theology of Baptism, there are a lot of things that, that it begins to divulge about our beliefs about this. Uh, but some of the things that uh, I want us to focus on today come with the understanding, with our understanding of baptism and how it impacts us, okay? So there are three different areas, uh, if I could just summarize them, and once again, go to the document, it's better expressive, more expressive than I am, uh, but three main points that we believe baptism represents. The first is our identity, okay? A baptism is a, is a practice of receiving our identity. If you were in our uh, Sunday school uh, class this morning, which uh, Ann Wilcox was so gracious to, to lead for us today, you would have heard as we, unpack, as we start to go through Ephesians that God chooses us by adoption. God welcomes us into God's love. Right? And, and by choosing us, God grants us that identity. Uh, in early Christians really took this practice to heart. Have you ever heard the expression, or somebody asked the question, what's your Christian name? This is not an expression we use in modern vernacular. It uh, dates back a while. Uh, but there was this practice that the church adopted that uh, whenever somebody was baptized, they would receive a new name, a Christian name. A name that, that represents that they have taken on a new identity in Christ. And this was a practice that was adapted from the Jewish practice of uh, circumcision in which uh, the child being brought forth for circumcision after eight, eight days after being born would be given their name at their circumcision. This covenant between God and the person in which the, per in which the person is declared, this is God's person, and God declares, I am your God. And they would receive their name at that moment. We took on this, a similar practice, but did it at baptism. Uh, and baptism would often take place in the early church at, in childhood, but for many it would have been uh, on into adulthood. And a person would receive, uh, or they would take on a new name at this point to signify that they have welcomed for themselves a new identity in Christ, that this is who they are now. It marks a change in identity. Who I was is not who I am, or who I am becoming through sanctification, through the Holy Spirit. The second thing is 
uh, that baptism represents is new life. This, uh, this recognition that, uh, that through the act of baptism, we end up participating in our own symbolic death and resurrection. Now, if you were uh, like me and baptized in uh, not a United Methodist Church, uh, then you might have gone through the whole dunking process. That's what I went through. It was traumatic. I flailed. I think I punched the pastor. I was seven years old. I didn't know I'd be held underwater for so long. Um, I prefer the United Methodist practice of sprinkling or pouring. That's much more pleasant to me than just being forced underwater. <laughs> but that's what I went through. And is this? Uh, but it, and the early church didn't use the practice of dunking. They were very much a sprinkling or pouring thing. A lot easier than just keeping like a you know stagnant pool of water around everywhere. Uh, and so the sprinkling and pouring. But the church ended up going to the dunking process to represent that aspect of dunking under, you're going into the grave, being brought back up, resurrection. This notion of new life. Uh, and and uh, water was meant to be this cleansing element that would say, you are new after coming through this water. Whenever I was growing up, um, my friends and I had this really weird obsession. Oh, this is so strange to even say out loud. We had this really weird obsession with my parents' shower. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not normal. Like, uh, so there were, uh, the house that I grew up in was two bathrooms. There was the bathroom that my sister and I shared, and it was just like a you know, regular bathtub shower thing. And then my parents had the walk-in shower with like the sliding door thing. And my friends and I had this, I don't know where it started from or why we had this, but we called that shower, my parents' shower, the new man shower. Because you could take a shower in our shower and it'd be fine. You come out and you're like, all right, cool, I'm ready for the day. But if you took a shower in that shower, the new man shower, you came out feeling like a new man. I don't know if it was the water pressure. I don't know if it was just the novelty of it, but uh, the, it was. We, we were obsessed with this shower because it felt like you came out a new person. All right, I hate to equate my parents' shower to baptism, but that's kind of what we're getting at here. This process of new life through the water. Right? There's this. There's this recognition that we have new life in Christ. And then the third thing, the third representation. Of, uh, of baptism is a launching point. Okay, baptism isn't the place where Christian life stops. It's the start of Christian life. And it may take some of us a bit longer to get into the point of baptism, or maybe some of us were baptized whenever we were infants. Whatever that might be, baptism is a launching point. Anyone here ever taken uh, improv classes before? No, yeah, yeah, we got some, yeah, very interesting. Uh, I was in an improv group in high school. Weird times. Uh, there's, there's one basic rule of improv, uh, and that rule is yes and, which means that if you're in an improv scenario, no matter what somebody else does who's in that scenario with you, you say yes and. And, in other words, you agree with whatever they're doing, you don't try to change what they're doing, and you add on top of it. So if somebody comes in and does something really strange, and you're like, what are you doing? I have no concept of how to even make this work. You just have to say yes, 
And, and then you do something crazy too. Uh, improv, it's strange. You should definitely take improv classes if you haven't before. It's quite the learning experience. Baptism is a yes and experience in which we encounter Christ and this great love and grace this grace that is freely offered to us as a gift, and we say yes, and, right? We don't just stop at the yes part. Yes, I receive this grace. Yes, I receive this gift. Uh, uh, by my faith, I am reaching out for this as you have freely given it, God. We don't stop there. We add the and because that's our launching point. That's where new life begins. And that's where we go out and we start doing Christian life. Not just claiming ourselves as Christians, but actually living as Christians. Yes, Jesus, and here's my life in response. And so we celebrate Baptism of the Lord Sunday as a recognition that Christ gave us this instruction to go and baptize and to be baptized. To be baptized and to go and baptize. And Jesus didn't just give the instruction, Jesus went through it himself. Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Right? Uh, we, uh, the, the line in the last hymn we sang is at the very front. Uh, came not for, correct me if I'm wrong, something like, uh, came not for redemption but as the sinless one. Like baptism for Jesus wasn't some purification point in which you know, we had to go and cleanse you know, everything Jesus did bad whenever he was a kid kind of thing. No, no, no. Rather, Jesus' baptism was set as our example for these three points here. The first being identity. As Jesus comes up out of the waters, uh, the heavens are ripped open. And the Holy Spirit descends, and this is important, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, not a dove descends. The Holy Spirit descends, but Luke just describes it like a dove, because how else do you exp uh, describe the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit descends upon Christ, and a voice comes from heaven, right? She says, you are my son, identity, the beloved Identity. With you, I am well pleased. Identity. This is the identity of Christ given for all the people present there. And, and we've already known it. It's a reaffirmation of this identity. But it points out that identity of Christ and our example of the identity we receive. In other words, when we are baptized, we are to hear the same. You are my child, my beloved with you, I am well pleased. We hear God speak to us through our baptism. The second thing is new life. Jesus knew, right, that he's going to the cross. That's like the whole plan. That's what's going to happen. And he's not too fond of the idea, but he's going for it. And he knows that on the other side of the cross, on the other side of death, is resurrection. And the, so this becomes the symbolic representation of, repre of, of resurrection from the beginning. Before resurrection even happens, we have Christ embodying resurrection, new life for us. And then number three, this point of baptism becomes his launching point. 
after he's baptized, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days or however long the period it was. For a very long time, goes through these temptations and begins his ministry. Baptism is the launching point for his ministry and everything else he does. Up to this point, it's just been like life as a carpenter. And maybe he's done some interesting things here and there, but we don't really know that. Luke gives us this launching point. This is Jesus' yes and point in which he accepts his ministry and life and the path to the cross and says yes and. So we celebrate baptism of the Lord Sunday because it is that yes and, uh, because it is that moment of uh, recognition that Jesus has set up for us an example of what it means to, in our baptism, receive our identity in Christ. In our baptism, find new life in Christ. In our baptism, receive our launching point in Christ. And we do need to point out, just really quickly, that John's baptism is by water. But there is one coming, he says, far greater than I, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So what does it mean to be baptized by uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit. We have to break down that word. The word spirit in Greek, pneuma, means breath, which was understood as the life force of any creature. Breath is essential, the life force of, uh, of all living things. And so uh, baptism by the Spirit is this reception of the breath, the life force of God. That, In other words, that our sustenance as Jesus says, humanity does not live on bread alone, right? But our sustenance comes from God, from the Spirit of God. And then we have this whole, and by fire. And that seems a little bit concerning. Right? Like, it should be concerning. Because imagine if we took that literally. Instead of this font right here, we, we built like a, like a coal walk or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, set, up, set up, you know, torches that you had to walk through. That seems a lot more traumatic. Uh, <laughs> so we have to ex unpack what does it mean that he's including fire in this. Well, here this in verse 17. Uh, the winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, here's the thing. All right, we, we have far too often in our historical interpretation of this passage understood that the wheat going into the granary is one type of people, the holy people, people that uh, by faith, are saved through grace and that the chaff are the other kind of people, the people who are going to the bad place, right? This is not the case. This is not the case. The wheat and chaff are both part of one person. We have wheat and we have chaff. We have that which is good and nourishing and can contribute to, sus to sustaining human life and growth. And we have waste. We have uh, pointless parts of our life that we cling to because we feel like we need it, but in reality it's just dirty and it's unnecessary. The fire that John is talking about, the fire with which Jesus baptizes, is a refining kind of fire. Not the kind of fire that, uh, that you know, just like, consumes us eternally, but the kind of fire that refines us eternally. 
kind of fire that helps us to recognize where we are going and how we are useful and productive and beneficial, what is holy versus what is useless and dirty and unnecessary, right? That's baptism. And so we recognize these three points of baptism, and I give you now this challenge for today, for this week, really. And that challenge is simple. Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism, your identity in Christ, that you are chosen, that you are beloved. Remember your new life in Christ, away with the old, on with the goodness, the holiness, the sanctification. Remember your launching point, that this is our yes and opportunity to embrace the grace and love of God and say, use me, Lord. I am yours. Remember your baptism. Let us pray.